Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxe, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of EST. We're having a fantastic time working through these uh, different issues related to the local church and the established church. This week, we're going to talk about uh, you know, whether or not leading the established church is worth it. Is it worth it after all? And what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and work our way through, you know, first of all, just trying to clarify, here's why the established church matters. Why does it matter theologically? Why does it matter practically, relationally, those sort of things? And then um, the reality is there, there are a lot of folks who don't think the local church, uh, particularly the established church, matters. And there's some reasons behind that. There are some pains and some challenges and some difficulties with leading the established church. And uh, we want to be honest about that. And then we want to close with just sort of a conversation about how it is that we can lead well through some of those difficulties because we ultimately do believe that it is worth the effort. So, Josh, we're going to ask you to kind of kick things off. Just talk to us a little bit today about why the local church, particularly the established church, why it matters. Sure. And I think this is a great question. And and just to set it up a little bit, for a long time there, and I'm sure you guys have heard this as well, and maybe our listeners have heard this as well, where the idea is, why deal with the established church when you could just go plant another church? And a lot of guys coming out of seminary or going even into seminary kind of have this feeling that the established church is one of two things. It either needs to go away or it's a stepping stone to get to a bigger and a better church. Or maybe even you would just work at an established church, be on staff there, just to pay your way through seminary so you could go plant a church. And so there's this taking away from the established church. And what I think one of our passions is, is this call back to love the established church and a number of reasons why the church matters. First of all, theologically, just biblically, Christ started the church. He established the church, the big church, the overall family there, and that's his method for spreading the gospel throughout the world. And so we need to value the system at which Christ uh, established, the, the, the system which Christ established. And we can't just toss that away. As much as it is challenging, as much as it's hard to do, also the scriptures talk about the church being the bride of Christ. And so if the church is the bride of Christ, then it's something that we need to value, even protect. And I think framing it in that way as the bride of Christ puts implications that are it would be wrong to take from the bride of Christ and instead protect her defend her um you know love her cherish her those sort of things would be um you know factors on why it matters Josh I would say this I think sometimes we particularly those of us in church leadership we tend to be very analytical in the way we approach um ministry and the church and it's mm-hmm. easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that the church is an organization, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than understanding that the church is a living, breathing organism. And so in mm-hmm. relationship to your comment about uh, the church being the bride of Christ and theologically why that matters. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her, right? So mm-hmm. you give yourself, you throw yourself in front of a speeding truck to save your wife. This is the kind of way in which Jesus cared for the church. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got to stop, or we've got to be cautious. While we need to certainly have good business principles and we've got to manage well within the context of the local church, the established church, we've got to be cautious not to think of it as just another organization like the Kiwanis Club or the PTA or whatever the case might be. I mean, this is, uh, 
a living, breathing organism. It's going to have good days. It's going to have bad days. There are going to be days when it has a cold, and there are going to be days when it's really healthy. And we want to help walk it, shepherd it through all of those days because it is the bride of Christ. Right. And uh, that's not to say that maybe, you know, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying that the established church is the bride of Christ and then um, – the the new plant is the is a girlfriend on the side or something like that. I'm not I'm not at all making that claim. I'm just saying that <laughs> okay, you that's can't. Okay, that, that's fantastic. That's <laughs> I've never heard that analogy before. That is a first. Uh, for I just me. made that up, and I was but really it does get treated that way sometimes. Yeah. I'm kind of sad for you that you said that, but you know, I'll, way way to go, hey, Josh. <laughs> hey, the, the Texan is the one that's going to stick his foot in his mouth probably yes. the majority of the time. So. Uh, we're not saying that, but we are saying that given that she is the bride of Christ, both the established and the plants and, and the missions and all those sort of his, um, kind of terminology, then both are, are worth fighting for. But as you mentioned, and a lot of our listeners are going to be like, all right, yeah, Mike, Sam, Josh, I got that. I love the church, blah, 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 theology. I went to seminary. I'm not really needing that. Why should I fight for this one in particular? You know, and there are some business sides of it. There's some assets, there's some resources at which are extremely worthwhile. And given in our context, we have 58,000 square feet to even begin to try to build that, to buy land, to build that anywhere in our community would be just astronomically expensive. There's no way that our church could afford that. Maybe another could. So you've got that business side of it with the finances. Sam, do you have input on that? Yeah, I just to to you've got you've touched on why this church, why this specific church, and and I think that's a worthy question. But I also want to give everyone a sense of scale here. So you know there are four hundred, four hundred fifty, five hundred thousand churches in the United States, depending on who's counting and how, and all almost all of them are established. You know, ten percent, twenty percent, depending on how you count, are church plants. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about. The scale of the established church just in our own country is massive. All of that real estate, all of all of those assets, all of those revenues that are coming in, is it worth the effort? Absolutely. These are kingdom dollars, and, and they can be used for great things. And understand that a lot of established churches are stuck. Most of them are declining or plateauing. 80 90% of them are. So, you know, it's worth it because the, just on the sense of scale, um, we, we have this incredible network of at a bare minimum real estate that could be used for the kingdom. So yeah, I, I think it, it's absolutely worth going to that one established church and doing everything mm-hmm. you can to to fight uh, for the kingdom of God at that church, because if everyone gave up on the established church, we'd be in a very unhealthy place. Yeah, it's, it's, it's throwing out the baby with the bathwater there, and that's not something that we want to do. Finally, I would just add this to this particular topic. It's not only the buildings, but the relational capital that's within the community. You have a history there. Not always great, but there is something to build upon there. You've got people that look at that facility, that look towards those people and saying, uh, they're the ones that you know came in when the tornado hit our house, and they're the ones that uh, you know paid for my grandmother's funeral. So you have this relational capital that is built within an established church that if that momentum can be pushed towards the mission— of Christ in your community, then it's a great thing. It's something that's established there. And I will just add this this note. Established is not a bad thing. I think deep down we're looking for something that's lasting, that has happened. Everything seems to be so fleeting. And uh, the established church kind of communicates the lasting of, of, of the gospel in Christ. I think to that point, Josh, in a culture in which, um, you know, 
you've got millennials growing up with families that are often broken and promises that are broken with politicians and, you know, the transient nature of culture. I think there's this very real and important sense that people are looking for rootedness. And so uh, I, I do think the lasting nature of the established church is a powerful, uh, you know, and compelling reason to want to be invested in it. But the truth of the matter is, um, there are real reasons why people get frustrated with the established church. I mean, this isn't just some sort of imagined uh, reality. I mean, there are, there are problems in the established church. There's people who, are get, who can be frustrating. And uh, we come up with this opinion often that we shouldn't go plant in the, or pastor in the established church. It would be easier to go plant a church and not have to deal with those things. Sam, what are those things that are, that are legitimate, that are frustrating, that keep us from wanting to pastor the established church and make us sometimes want to quit when we do pastor the established church? Yeah, there are many problems with the established church, and thank you for allowing me to to talk about the negative, <laughs> Micah. I, I appreciate that. Um, Doing what I can for you, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just as a just to introduce this segment, let me just say that I love the established church. I have a deep, deep love for my own church, and everything that I'm going to say does not apply to my current church at all. Um, if we're talking about negative things, but I think one of the the biggest challenges of an established church is culture because you by organizational culture so you have you have a a, a context around you that's your mission field there's a there's a culture to that context and then you also have an organizational culture within your church and many times those two things don't jive in the established church meaning the culture of the church does not match the culture around the church mm-hmm. and that's a problem and you get to inherit that organizational culture. And unless you stay a long time, it's hard to even shape that culture. It is there. It is what it is. It's going to take five years, ten years to really begin to change the culture of the church. Now, you can make some technical changes along the way and some systems changes and, and some program changes and even some people changes that help you know remedy that problem. But it is a big problem is, okay, I'm the new guy, and I've got a group of people that have been here 50, 60, 70 years, mm. and they've been doing things a certain way, and it's not going to be easy to get them to do things differently. And so that means that, okay, so if you have that culture that you inherit, it means that change is slow. It's typically slow, and, and it requires a lot of patience. And of course, you know, there's some things that you can do, Micah, you're in your first year at Brainerd and, you know, there's going to be some technical changes that you can make just because you're the new guy and everyone loves you. And, you know, hopefully you have that honeymoon season where it's awesome. And then, you know, people wake up. Uh, don't, by the way, don't ever tell anybody it's your year anniversary. That is the biggest mistake that pastors make is, oh, it's my one year anniversary because people kind of look around and they go, wait, he's been here a year? Oh my goodness, he hasn't done this or he's done this. And it, so I just, I don't ever tell anyone when my anniversary is because it, it's kind of a wake up call there. But I think one of the biggest things is culture. And in that culture, um, you get comfort. People get comfortable. So change is slow. People get comfortable. Um, meanness can fester at, at, at some churches, not all. Um, in fact, at one church, I'll just tell this story. <laughs> Um, so my wife sang a solo. This is, again, not my current church. This is a previous <laughs> church. Just in case anyone's listening from my church, this is not my church. Previous church, my wife sang a solo. And um, I, I thought it was wonderful. She's got a good voice. I have the shake your hand line after church, right? 
Right. So everyone's coming through the shake your hand line and everyone's pretending to be nice to me and lying to me that it was a great sermon and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. And there's this one woman that just stopped and I could tell she was about to say something nasty, just the look on her face. And she just laid into my wife. I don't even know if she knew it was my wife or what, but talking about how it wasn't worshipful, how that's not glorifying to God and whoever that person up there that was singing was just terrible, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, she's saying it loudly so that everyone around can hear. And so I just looked at her and I just said, you know, ma'am, I thank you for that feedback. Um, But let me just say this. There are a lot of dead churches in our community. And I'm sure that if you wanted to go there, they would welcome another corpse. (laughs) Yeah, That did not do me well. I was going to say, I bet that went over like a... That did not do me well. So there is... A culture in the church there's comfort in that culture um, there's a sense of I own this place um, and in all of that meanness can fester and if you're a lead pastor or a senior pastor whatever you call yourself you can quickly find yourself where I was and not helping but hurting and being part of that meanness part of that comfort and mm-hmm. you know what I said to that woman wasn't right I look back on it now and I laugh a little bit but it caused me quite a headache for two or three weeks um, because she felt like she owned the place and, you know, she gave enough money to where a lot of people thought that she did own the place. Um, so, you know, those are, those are definitely some of the issues. There are many, many more, but I really think the overarching issue to most of the problems in the established church is the fact that you just inherit a culture, good, bad, or ugly, you're going to inherit it. Yeah. And I've said before, I think not, I mean, to your point, I think a lot of pastors underestimate how challenging cultural changes. Frankly, I don't think most pastors even think through um, the fact that they are the keepers of culture and that they are the primary um, shapers of the future culture of the church. Mm-hmm. And I like to call it painting the walls or changing the drapes. Like, I mean, you know, you can come in and you can change music and, and you know, you can get a plan here or two in place. But that whole culture change, as you said, Sam, is just a long, it really is a long process. It simply cannot be done quickly unless it's a mm-hmm. church plant. In the established church, it can't be done quickly. And I think is maybe the single most important leadership element that a, a, a pastor in a church has to engage in. And, uh, yeah, it leads to all sorts of changes. So it uh, leads to all sorts of challenges. So that leads us to kind of what we want to spend a little bit of time on, and that is in light of the fact that the church is worth it, in light of the fact that there are real challenges, real struggles in the established church, how do you put in place processes, means, of um, or patterns to be able to move through some of those challenges because uh, because the church is worth it? Josh, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I guess my advice on that for uh, would be um, two two sided. First off, I I constantly champion or talk about those people who the way I say it is there are walls that are standing on this campus because um, you guys or your fathers or your mothers bled and sweat and paid. For those walls to be standing. And so I don't want to see those things go to waste. I want to see these things filled again. I want to see these rooms filled with children. I want to see this community reached. And so we want to be good stewards of what it is that um, that past generations have invested to us and given to us for the purpose of reaching 
this community. So that history and that established sort of culture, try to kind of, I try to wedge myself into that and then show myself as not the the one that's going to do away with all of that, but one of the ones that's going to take that into the next step to be faithful to those who planted this church, those who established this church in the days. And I've seen that be super powerful, um, just kind of establishing that. The other side of it um, that I would recommend, I, I don't know if this is maybe what we're talking about here, but the, just the thing that comes to mind is the new members class. So on one side, I'm constantly pushing myself back into the history. On the other side, I'm constantly looking towards the future. And a lot of guys, I can't believe how many churches don't have sort of a new members class. And I understand sort of the theological pushbacks on that. I'm not talking necessarily about that. Uh, but if there's some front door class where you can, um, you know, sort of pitch a vision. So one of the ways we did it was for years, I said, this church will one day be a multi-elder-led church. So when we finally got to the point of voting for that, most of the members were new. And they said, well, yeah, I mean, he's been saying that for years. We just were kind of waiting on it. So those who didn't want to be a part of that didn't end up joining. So I would say in the established church, once you've kind of put yourself there and you've decided, and maybe that's where we should start, you've got to go to a place and, and root yourself there and decide, if unless God pulls me away, I'm here. Um, I'd say push yourself into the, the history while you're looking towards the future. Uh, two points. Yeah. So one of the, you know, I've, I'm, I'm in the new stage at this church where I'm pastoring now. I've been here for, uh, since early July. And so July, August, September, and I'm in the, yeah, I'm closing in on four months now that I've been here at the church. And, um, it's also the third church I've served as a senior pastor. And, you know, I've been doing this for, for about 20 years. And so, um, I've had an, a little bit of time to begin to kind of understand the mistakes I've made in the past. And one of the mistakes I made at the last church where I was a senior pastor is I walked right in the door and I thought strategy first. Strategy was my was the name of the game for me. And I, you know, I was spent a couple of years wrapping my heads around strategic decisions, staffing models, um, you know, that sort of thing. And I realized um, while I was able, you know, a lot of that I was able to lead and a lot of that was able to be implemented and we were able to move forward. Um, I wasn't able to move forward nearly as well as I should have been because I didn't invest in the people um, in the church right off the bat. And so, you know, when, when I came here, the church I serve now is a fairly large church. There's no way I'm going to know everybody in the church. I, it's just not possible. But I started uh, from almost my first week in the office of having my assistant set up a couple of meetings every week in the home, starting with our oldest members from our homebound members and beginning to work our way down uh, the age list, <laughs> starting at the oldest and beginning, you know, not, not, not exactly that way. Some of our folks that we started me meeting with weren't as old, but you know, a lot of our homebound folks, uh, what I was trying to do is one, I want to get to know as many people as I can in, in the church as possible, but two, I want to be able to build relational capital. The church needs to know I do love them. I care about them because I, I do tend to think strategy first. That's my, that's where I run to. I run to spreadsheets and Excel, you know, I run to Excel and PowerPoint and bullet points. That, and that's my love language, Mike. I'm telling you, my <laughs> spreadsheets and Excel. I can just you're live a in Excel all day long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could live in Excel all day, every day. You give me demographic maps and I just, it's like drool starts running down my, my chin, you know? And so, um, I love that stuff. I know that's what I'm going to do by nature. And so I have to discipline myself on the relational side to invest intentionally in people's lives so that they know that I care, so that they know that we have um, relationship with one another. 
Uh, and I've been doing one to two, even three lunches a week with different business uh, men and women in the church, leaders in the church, just so I can get to hear their story and get to know them a little bit better and hear more from them. How, how are things going in the church? And I do this strategically and intentionally because I know I'm going to do the strategy. That's just who I am. Um, so I want to make sure that the relationship side sort of comes alongside that. And then I get permission. I have permission to make the strategic decisions because they know I care about them. They know I love them and, the, and they, they trust me. And uh, so far, I mean, of course, we're only four months in. So far, it's gone well, but we'll see how it goes moving forward. Yeah, I would I would say lunches, breakfasts and dinners are hugely important. I actually leave the time open uh, lunch hour open on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family is just, we just do that. That may not be for everybody, but my right. wife and I have agreed that, hey, we're going to leave that open just in case somebody asks us. And and often, you know, one out of two, two out of three Sundays, yeah, we're going out to eat with somebody. Um, and, and, and it helps build that, those relationships, those relationships are absolutely key. The other thing that I would add to what you said is just start, if you're a new pastor, just start with what's good there. Yeah, I mean, there's right. there's got to be in every church something that's good. So focus on that, champion that, and many times, you know, what you become, what you celebrate. That's and right. over that's over time, yeah. you, you know, you're you're going to become what you celebrate. So celebrate the things that are good. The other strategy that I've used is um, I, I try to start the rumors in my own church. <laughs> um, I, I, there is a rumor, whether you like it or not. If it's an established church, there is a rumor mill, and and so I, I just tap right into that. I don't fight it. I just start the rumors. So, you know, I'll often go to people and, you know, you, you know the strategic people, who they are, and you say, hey, now don't tell anybody, but here's what I'm thinking. And, and, and the next thing you know, everyone's talking about it so that when you get in front of certain groups, they, they've already heard it mm-hmm. at least. And, uh, and if you've been in an established church for a little while, there's an old theory called the berry bucket principle. I don't know if you guys remember that old, old theory. Um, so you have old berries and you got new berries. And the old berries are those who were there on your first day. So everyone, you're you're the new on your first day as a pastor, that first Sunday that you preach. Basically, everyone's an old berry because they've been there longer than you. Mm-hmm. Anyone that comes to the church after that is a new bear, new berry. And inevitably, when you get about the same amount of new berries as you do old berries, whether the old berries leave or more new berries come or both, you get tension. And when the when 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 the new berries start to outweigh the old berries and that and those berry buckets, that's when you can really see some cultural change happen. If if you're needing to make some big big changes, so you almost need to wait to make big. If it's not a theological issue, if it's not like crisis mode, you almost need to wait until you get some new berries in those buckets before you really start pushing some major changes. Mm-hmm. Can I just add on to something you said there? No. I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, celebrate the wins, even small wins. Find every small win and just make a yeah. giant deal out of it. I tell the staff all the time, let's make a mountain out of every small win, just every tiny molehill. But the other side of that, and I cannot tell you how often I run into pastors who ha- make this mistake, is you celebrate the wins, but you also own the mistakes. So. Mm. I've heard a number of guys that are struggling to get their church to follow them, and they constantly refer to their church as them uh-huh. or they, or they right. say their debt. Well, it's your debt now. Like, I mean, you know, when I when I married my wife, she had some student loans. I didn't I don't keep saying those are hers. They're ours. They're you know, they're they're That's what happens when you become a pastor. 
So whatever the mistakes were in the past, whatever this church did that was not incredibly righteous or, or right, that's my mistake. And so I can either, you know, some of them you just ignore and keep going. Some of them you go back and fix. And if it's within your power to fix it, then fix it. And so um, I would encourage you guys, celebrate the wins, of course, but but be very careful about your pronouns. This is our church. This is our past. This is our debt. That was our mistake. Those sort of things, when you have to refer to those, that's really a big, I think, relational thing that lets you know um, you, you love the old berries, you know? You love Absolutely. that sort of setting, yeah. Yeah, and the, the flip side of those pronouns is don't say my or mine either. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's on the other side. I, oh, I own this my church. That, that's yeah. just as dangerous, too. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, uh, Ron Edmondson is a friend who's, who pastors uh, an old established church up in, in Lexington, Kentucky, and has done a phenomenal job. He's a rather unique sort of uh, guy in that he planted a church in Clarksville, Tennessee, that became one of the 100 fastest growing churches in America, and then he left there to go pastor this old established church, and now he's led it to um, arguably the greatest days in, their, in, the, in the life of the church. But one of the mm-hmm. things I love that Ron has done, and he, he kind of uh, mentioned this to me multiple times, is he tells the story of the history of the church and uses the history as the platform for the future. In other mm-hmm. words, here are the two or three or four things that we have historically always done well. We're going to do those things really well in the future, and here's how we're going to do those things. Um, and so, you know, I, I think far too often when we go into lead the established church, we total we, we really miss out on the opportunity that we have of raising up the history of the church as a model for the future. And obviously that future is going to look different than the history did, but there's going to be basic foundational principles or, or underlying characteristics of what we've done historically that can guide what we have done in the past. We've cared about, you know, families or we've cared about preaching or we've cared about our community or we, you know, we were early embracers of technology or whatever the case might be. You can use those strengths as a platform to show Here's who we were in the past. We're going to do this in the future, but we're going to do it really, really well moving forward. And and Ron's been incredibly successful with that. And I, I think the other one of the things that I was thinking about, two actually things I was thinking about when you guys were mentioning that. One, you talked about celebrating uh, these wins, Josh and, and Sam. You mentioned you are what you celebrate. I, to- I couldn't agree more with that. Protect what happens on the platform and only tell the stories of the preferred future on the platform. The reality is in the established church, you're going to plow around some stumps. You know, not everything's going to be the way you want it to be, and that's fine. And, and you're not going to blow it up because to blow it up would be to blow up the church. But that doesn't mean you have to tell every one of those stories from the platform. Whether you bring per- people up on the platform and you share their testimonies or maybe you record videos and you show video testimonies or in your vision casting as a pastor, you're kind of speaking about the future. Be very careful to safeguard what is what is said from the pulpit and only celebrate the preferred future. And uh, that's been important to me And uh, as we've moved forward, both in previous churches I've served and now in the church I'm serving now. We want to make sure we tell the story of where the church is going and so that there's not any confusion about that. Um, and then another thing, going back even a little bit further, Sam, you're talking about keeping Sunday afternoons open. For a long time, Tracy and I, we have e- we've done a one of two things consistently on Sunday afternoons. We've either kept Sunday afternoons available to go to lunch with someone, or if we're making lunch at our house, Tracy just makes a double portion. And we go to church that day thinking we're going to find some new person in the church and we're going to invite them home with us. 
And so mm-hmm. we've tried to consistently open our home, but we, we prepare for it in advance. We're just going to make it, you know, maybe we can't afford to go out every Sunday or whatever the case might be. And there have been times when that's been true for us. So we're going to prepare lunch. We're just going to prepare a couple of extra portions, and we're going to have a couple of extra tables, uh, seat, you know, settings set at the table. And we're going to plan to bring people home, and that way we can begin to build relationships. And those have been incredibly fruitful ways that we've had of, of helping build relationships and, you know, develop key um, friendships with people that lead to, um, progress and growth in the church. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're um, coming up to the end of the time. Is, is that the, All right. Well, then I just want to mention a couple of things that for our listeners, make sure that you are subscribed to our Twitter account. If you're not, I don't know how you actually heard about the show. So if you are not yet a part it's of... It's your grandma, Josh. She's listening. <laughs> my, my poor deceased grandmother is listening to the show. Uh, but... <laughs> So if you are um, not yet on our Twitter followers, make sure that you do that. We're at EST Church um, on Twitter, of course. Follow that. Uh, Micah mentioned Ron. Join Ron as one of our many followers there. He is following our show. I also wanted to mention uh, Stephen Thomas. He's just one of our newest followers. He's uh, the pastor at Peace Creek Baptist. It's down there in Bartow, Florida. This poor guy is a Florida Gators and Tampa him. Bay Ray fan. Well, so that's that's, that's you two, right? Dude, don't 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 go knocking my Rays. That I love tragic, I love but I love God my Rays. Bless the Gators. This is Gators a sign of God's favor on this show, Josh. Ray, Stephen Thomas. He's at Dulos two thousand four. He's a follower. Thank you for that, Stephen. We're glad that you're following us, getting the word out about this show. The rest of you, uh, what are you waiting on at EST Church? And make sure that you've subscribed to us on iTunes and wherever wherever else it is that you can find us. And while you're in iTunes, go ahead and rate us. Rate us really high. Give us a great review. That helps out quite a bit. Thanks for listening to this show, and uh, we hope that you continue to listen to the rest of our shows. We'll see you next week.